All right. Well, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 11. Continuing to go through Luke's gospel in our study. And I, I want to read the whole section that actually that I'm going to teach from today. Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 36. I'm going to read all those verses. I uh, hope you guys can handle all that. And, uh, and then we'll pray again and we'll get into it together. Now, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if by the finger of God, it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God, I'm sorry, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given uh, to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so, the, the son of, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting the lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And when it is bad, your, whole, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And again, Father, we pray you bless your word. Lord, help us to follow Jesus. Help us to respond 
as you would have us respond. In his name we pray. Amen. So we're in, in Luke's gospel it, at a place where Luke is wanting us to see that the closer Jesus got to the cross, the more resistance there was to him. Really, really from about the end of chapter 9 until the, the crucifixion, that covers only about nine months, the last six to nine months of Jesus' ministry. And it's interesting that at this point, Luke includes this, this scene or these scenes where where people are beginning to think, or at least in the other Gospels it says the religious leaders are beginning to think that, that, well, you know, yeah, Jesus is doing some pretty great things, but we're not really sure who he is. In fact, when it came to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, whom we'll see next week, Jesus has some pretty harsh words to say to, they, Jesus didn't fit into their assumptions about what God's chosen king would look like. And because he didn't fit into their assumptions, he wasn't doing what they expected him to do they started saying, well, okay, he does powerful things, but he must do those powerful things by the work of Satan. Pretty heinous thing to say. And it's interesting because if maybe it was you or I, and we were trying to work for God, and people were resisting what we were trying to do, we might go, okay, fine, they didn't want to hear it, and we'd walk away. We wouldn't confront, we'd just kind of walk away and say, forget it. But Jesus doesn't do this. When these guys are even accusing him of being from Satan himself, when this is happening, he does not let that response go unchallenged. He doesn't let them just have this wrong idea, this wrong response to him. No, he loves them too much to leave that response unchallenged. And so we're going to see about the responses that we are tempted to make and responses that we're called to make to Jesus. And, and, and I hope that what this does, is, as we're listening to this, I hope what this does is it challenges our own hearts. Because the truth is, you guys here, and most of you guys probably watching online, many of you at least, would make professions of faith that you believe in Jesus, you want to follow Jesus, this is where you are. But we have to watch our own hearts, because our hearts can be, as Jeremiah says, deceitfully wicked above all things. We, we can think that we're in a, in, in a right place when really... Internally, we're, we are doing maybe one of these things. And so picking it back up in verse 17, Jesus is going to challenge these two attitudes that are talked about when they see him do this miracle of casting out a demon and a mute man be able to speak. It says in verse 17, Jesus knows their thoughts and he says to them this. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided house falls. He, he, he just kind of cuts right to it. He's confronting how absurd their argument is. Are you really serious, he's like saying. If I'm fighting against Satan, but then I'm from Satan, isn't that mean it's all going to be destroyed? I mean, we, we all know this common sense, right? If there's a kingdom and there's a battle within that kingdom, we just prayed for some of those examples in our world now. What happens? Those worlds are destroyed. Those countries and those kingdoms are destroyed. And a house... Some of us have lived in homes where there was just strife and conflict, and those houses fall apart. And Jesus is saying, why would you think this is what I'm doing? If I'm coming against these evil spirits, why would you think that I'm doing that by the power of evil spirits? It wouldn't make any sense. In fact, he even brings up this issue here when he says, okay, if I'm doing this by Beelzebub, then how are your sons doing this? The idea here is that the religious leaders were 
we're, we're saying, okay, yeah, the people who are trying to cast out demons in the name of the God of Israel, they're okay. But when Jesus claims to do it by the, the God of Israel, no, no, he's from Satan. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense. You're being absurd. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, what he does instead is he, he, he could have just at that point just said, so I'm done with you. But again, he doesn't do this. He tries to pull them in by highlighting what it is he's actually doing by casting out these demons. What does it illustrate? Verse 20. He says, if by the finger of God, it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is upon you. He's saying, no, you, you, in fact, what we probably... Uh, suspect is that those Jewish exorcists that were trying to cast out demons were usually unsuccessful. Kind of like what we saw in Acts chapter 19, I think it is, with the seven sons of Sceva who tried to cast out demons even in the, in the Jesus that Paul preaches, and it didn't go too well for them. And so th there's, a, there's an idea here that maybe he's saying, listen, if this is actually happened, if I'm actually able to cast out demons when your sons try and fail, could it mean that God's kingdom has actually come? that I am indeed God's chosen king, if I'm doing this by the power of God? He says in verse 21, he gives kind of an analogy. He says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe, but when one stronger than he attacks him, overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted and divides the spoil. The strong man he's referring to in this analogy is Satan, Beelzebub, the Lord of evil spirits. Jesus is the stronger one who overcomes him. He overcomes the enemy. It's like Jesus is trying to say to them, listen, I, this is the effect of my ministry. I'm actually overcoming the evil one, the one who brought sin into the world in the first place. And then he says this in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, whoever does not gather with me scatters. He uses two different metaphors here. He uses a military metaphor and a farming metaphor to say the same thing. He, he, he basically says, listen, if you are not on my side, you're fighting with the enemy. If you say that I'm from Beelzebub, guess what side you're on? Beelzebub's side, because I'm with God. And he's saying, look, if you're not gathering with me, in other words, if you're not pointing to me as the Messiah and bringing people into God's kingdom, guess what you're doing? You're scattering them away. You're doing the work of Beelzebub. And he's being strong with his words because he doesn't want to let these guys do what they're doing. They're trying to demonize him. They're trying to vilify him. And this isn't really that different than what we do. What we tend to do is we tend to, in our human hearts, we tend to, we're frustrated with God. We even think maybe God's not good when he doesn't do what we want him to do. When God doesn't fit our expectations, we think maybe he's not so good after all. This is what we do when we're, even as Christians sometimes, even as professed Christians, God doesn't do what we want to do and we question his goodness. Why? Because this is, this is our human nature. This is our sinfulness. And so Jesus, again, it was, some people think in verses 24 to 26, some people think this is a description of what actually happens in the demonic realm. Others think this is just, again, a metaphor about uh, what these guys are doing and how it's demonically influenced. Either way, he gives us a picture that's supposed to be quite sobering. 
He says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the, that person is worse than the first. You kind of get a sense here that what, what's happening is as Jesus confronts the absurdity of them accusing him of casting demons out by Beelzebub, when he confronts that, when he says, think again about my ministry, that people kind of go, well, maybe, okay, um, I'm not too sure. And so he says in verse 23, well, you need to be sure because you're either for me or against me. And then he tells this, either gives this metaphor or gives us this insight into the, the demonic realm. And he basically says, listen, you need to recognize the seriousness of your indecision. Because even if you get some demon cast out of you, even if you have maybe a time of cleansing where you're maybe doing morally, guess what? Unless you're filled with me, you're still an empty house and the last state's going to be worse than your first. He, he's warning them, listen, if you vilify me or you want to be undecided about me, the last state of your, the last part of your state is going to be worse than you were before you heard of me. Now, it, it's important for us to see how serious this is because I want you to think about this. When Jesus is saying this, at least the where Luke puts this, he's saying this before, of course, his death and resurrection, isn't he? So when Jesus is saying this to these people, they don't know, understand yet that he's going to die for their sins, he's going to rise from the dead. Now, obviously, those who read Luke's gospel understand this because it's written after he's died for the sins rose from the dead. But Jesus is challenging them to see him and have an exclusive faith in him even before he's done that. And he's warning them about the consequences if they say, no, no thanks, or I'm not too sure. He's saying these are very serious consequences. So we have to ask ourselves, do we demonize him? Are we vilifying God? Maybe you're watching this and you've been kind of dipping in and out of Christian things since the whole global pandemics happened and you're thinking, I'm just not decided. Well, you know, why not? Seriously, why not? So that's the, the first group who, who thinks, okay, who tries to accuse him of, of casting out demons by Beelzebub. The second group, though, are, are kind of those who are saying, well... He seems to be doing great stuff, but we, maybe he'll do even more great stuff for us. Maybe he'll do even more signs that we want. And so what happens? Drop down to verse 29. So when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. Whoa, it's pretty harsh. We don't like to think of Jesus saying things like this, but he does. This generation is an evil generation. Here's why. It says, it seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man to this generation. Now, if you guys remember from Sunday School 101, the story of Jonah and the big fish, right? Some, you might, some of your kids' books or some of your... Uh, Sunday school classes might have said Jonah in the whale, but it's actually just, it says Jonah and the big fish, right? So Jonah and the big fish, you know the story. God calls Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites, to call them to repent from their pagan worship and worship the true and living God, okay? Ninevites were Gentiles. That's, that's going to be important. 
And so he calls them to go, and, and once God calls Jonah to go and says, okay, go down over here and preach to the Ninevites, Jonah says, okay, and he goes the opposite direction. He runs away from it. He thinks, no way, I'm not going to see those Ninevites repent. He, he was a racist, basically, and didn't want to see them come to faith. And so he tries to escape. He gets on a ship, tries to go the opposite direction. And of course, you probably know the story. There's this great storm and the sailors on the, on the, on the, on the ship who also aren't necessarily believers in the, in the one true God, they're praying like crazy to their God saying, what do we do? And they're casting lots to see who's the guilty one of our party that the storm is happening. The lots fall on Jonah. Jonah says, you know what? Just chuck me in the sea. It's like I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. I just, just chuck me in the sea. This is my fault. And so they chuck him in the sea, and what happens? Big old fish swallows him up. And there's Jonah in the belly of that fish. Stomach acid's probably doing a business on him. He's looking pretty nasty when he gets out of that. And the fish barfs him up on the beach at Nineveh. This is the sign, right? He walks, you can just see him walking there, and just oh, looking horrible, right? Yelling at everybody, repent. People are like, oh, man. The sign. Because the Bible says in another gospel that as, Jesus says, that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so he'll be, so the Son of Man will be in the center of the earth three days and three nights. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, the sign that he's going to give is his death and resurrection. That's the sign. He's calling them to believe now, but he's saying, here's the only sign you're going to get. Now, let's be honest. Isn't this the best sign there can be? There, there, are, there are such things as fake miracles. We know that for a fact. We know that the Bible says, talks about lying signs and wonders. But you can't fake your own death and resurrection necessarily. Not the way it happened to Jesus. He predicts his own death. He predicts his own resurrection. That's the sign to them that, look at, he is God's chosen king. Not what they expected, but still, with the sign he would get. That's the only sign. The point is, Jesus chooses what sign he gives we don't get to choose what sign he gives. He tells us, this is it. I've died for you. I've demonstrated my love for you by dying on the cross for you. I've risen from the dead. I showed myself to many witnesses. And he continues with this whole idea of, of why they should believe and in, in exposing their unbelief and in, in, in demanding from him another sign. Verse 31, he says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, this is a story from the Old Testament uh, in 1 Kings and 1 or 2 Samuel, I think it is. And if you, if you remember this, Solomon was David's son the heir to the throne. And Solomon was, under his reign and his rule, he asked God for wisdom. God gave him more wisdom than any other king before him. Any other king after him, except for, of course, Jesus. And so he has this great wisdom, and he has such a reputation for someone who knows everything about zoology and biology and, and, and building engineering and uh, politics and philosophy and Faith, he knows so many things that there's this queen from Sheba who comes to see how clever he actually is. And when she sees him, she's blown away and says, your God must be the real God. She's blown away. And Jesus is saying, that Gentile queen will be raised at the last day and judge this generation of Jews because they didn't receive me as Messiah. 
Then he gives another example. He says, the men of Nineveh, verse 32, same ones that, that Jonah preached to, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Do you know what Jonah did when he, he preached? He said, repent. That was that entire message. Repent. Repent or perish. No other message. You know what happened? They did. The whole city turns back, turns to God. You know what Jonah does? Hooray! Nope. He sulks on a hill overlooking a mountain, hoping that God will change his mind and wipe out those Ninevites. So, so here he is basically a racist preaching repentance, and the whole town turns. And what Jesus is saying, those Ninevites, those Gentile Ninevites, will be raised up on the last day to, to, as a judgment against this present generation, Israel, because Jesus' preaching was rejected and Jonah's preaching wasn't. I mean, think about this, guys. Jesus' wisdom is wiser than Solomon's. And yet we go, well, yeah, maybe, no, I don't know. If he's so wise, why doesn't he change this or that? If he's so wise, why doesn't he allow this? And why does he condemn that? And think about Jesus preaching is far more compassionate than Jonah's. Even what's happening here, as direct and confrontational as it is, this is Jesus not willing to push anyone away, not turning his back, but saying, don't you get what you're doing? Do you understand the, how you're responding right now and why that's dangerous and why that's bad? But he's saying, man, if you're demanding more of him, you need to understand what kind of judgment you're going to experience. Then it says in verse 36, sorry, not verse 36, verse 33, Jesus then continues to say this. He says, no one after lighting the lamp Put, puts it into a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is a lamp of your body. Now, what Jesus is talking about here, when he's talking about the light, he's probably referring to himself. Jesus said in John chapter 12, right, I am the light of the world. So he's probably referring to himself. Now, here's what you have to understand, okay? What he's telling us about light is that light is received like a lamp is lit. A lamp doesn't light itself. It doesn't. It has to be lit. Even those self-lighting lamps that we have now where you press a button and click, 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 and it lights up, it's still, the button has to be pushed. Even if you have a clap on, someone's got to clap, okay? Lights don't light themselves, right? It's an outside source. So when he's talking about light, he's saying... We're not, you're not producing light. You're not figuring light out. The light is not within you. The light comes from the outside. Jesus is the light. He's saying, you need to understand this. He's saying, what are you receiving? Where are you looking? What's your eye on? And then he goes on in verse 34 to say, when your eye is healthy, that it's, it's looking at the right direction, it's seeing the way it's meant to see, your whole body is full of light. But when your, light, your eye is bad... Your body is full of darkness. He says, therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, the kind of light that you receive, that light 
determines what you see. You ever been in a room that has those black lights, you know what I'm talking about? And it makes all sort of things that are white glow. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's not that those things necessarily glow in of themselves or, or that you're even seeing those things rightly. It's just the kind of light that is, is, is bringing something different about what's there. So you get a, a skewed picture of what's there. It's kind of cool looking, but it's still skewed, okay? In a real, real sense, what Jesus is teaching us is that, listen, whatever light you're receiving, whatever light you're viewing life by, reality by, whatever light you're viewing, that's going to tweak how you see reality. This is why he gives us this warning. Be careful that the light you have is not darkness. Because the the thing is, if we're not going to look at life and reality through who Jesus is and what he says, guess what? We're going to see it through another light and we're going to see it wrong. This is what he's warning them of. Now this brings us back to verses 27 and 28. Now, Luke and Luke alone has this, these two verses. There's no other gospel that talks about this. And it's kind of interesting that in the middle of this, that when Jesus is kind of talking about unclean spirits and the last state of the person is worse than the first, it seems like an odd time for this woman to, to say this. But the woman in the crowd raises her voice and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you in the breast which, at which you nursed. And you kind of get a sense that maybe she's, I don't know, maybe she's just like, wow, this guy has a lot of wisdom. And it's almost like a way to say, your parents did a great job. Well done. Or maybe she's just feeling uncomfortable. And there's an uncomfortable silence of like, man, this is a heavy thing that Jesus is saying. So I got to say something, so I'll be positive. I mean, we don't actually know for sure why she's saying this. But Jesus in his response, listen, he's not dissing his mother. What he's saying is, hey, so much more than the woman who who gave birth to me, is how we respond to what God says. Blessed, rather, he says, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, the Bible talks about itself. Scripture describes itself as light, right? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And the idea here is how we respond shows the kind of light that we've received, So, so, so it's not as if anyone here, anyone watching this doesn't have some kind of light. But how we live out our lives shows the light that we're living by. Are you following me? If God has spoken to us through the scriptures and, and, and finally and most authoritatively through his own son, Jesus, then we, rec- we know we've received that light when we do what he says, when we follow after him, when we trust him. And so this is the question, do we believe him? He, he, he's, he's challenging this crowd who's seen him do these miracles. He's coming to less than the last, he's got like a, he's been kind of ministering now at this point for two and a half to three years, and he's saying, listen, do you want to demonize me? Do you want to demand more of me? Or do you want to believe me? Do you want to believe me? Listen, the Lord says this to these people because he loves them. If he didn't love them, he'd just say, okay, fine, I'll go talk to somebody else. But he loves them. He loves them too much to let them stay in their bad responses. 
He loves them too much to let them try to pretend it's okay that they're indecisive. He loves them too much to not challenge them where they're at. He wants them to know him. I I want us to think about this. Jesus is challenging their wrong responses because love is never neutral. You know, we tend to think the opposite of love is hate. But you know what really the opposite of love actually is? It's apathy. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. That's not what love does. This is why when someone you don't know very well says something that you seem to be a bit hurtful, you might be a bit shocked by it, but you're like, whatever. Because you don't really care about what they think. But when someone loves you and they say something that hurts your feelings, it stays with you because you love them and you trust them and then they hurt you. Love's never apathetic. Love's never neutral. And Jesus is not neutral about us. He's not apathetic about what we believe or how we're responding to his word. And so he challenges us to say, how are you going to respond? So let me ask you a few questions. What has Jesus done or taught that you're resisting? If you find yourself going, I don't know if I want to really believe in Jesus yet, or I'm not sure about this stuff yet. What's he done that you're pushing away? What has he taught that you're pushing away? That you're going, no, I don't want that. I used to give the challenge to teenagers when I did youth work in the States. It said, come up with whatever it is. You, you, you bring any questions of why, any, any question or doubt or, or, or uh, anything, that, the reason why you want to reject Christianity. You bring that to me and I guarantee I'll be able to give you an answer. And that's not because I'm so clever. It's because I knew that almost everyone I've ever known has the same basic objections to Christianity. And they all have an answer. And really, when you push people, teenagers or otherwise, and corner them in this, why don't they want to follow Jesus? It always boils down to this, because I want to do what I want to do. We resist his lordship. Jesus had to say to his own disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? This is our natural heart. What else could Jesus do to prove God's love for you? Because the Bible teaches, listen, that even though we say, "Ah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I really want him to control my life, when we do that which is called sin, that's what sin is, and all of us do it, when we push his lordship away, when we try to resist his right and good rule over our lives, when we do that, it's at that point that Jesus says, I'm going to die for those people. I'm going to die for them. What else can he do to prove that he loves you, that God loves you? And another question, what are you tempted to trust more than Jesus? If you're going, okay, I'm resisting who he is or what he's taught, I'm not sure I can believe this, or I don't know if he actually loves me, okay, I think he's loving, but I'm not sure if that love is for me, I'm going to push back. Well, then what are you going to trust instead? What are you going to trust instead? Because this is the big question, isn't it? And this is what Jesus is trying to bring these guys to. A point that they go, what other Messiah are you looking for? Are you going to trust in another relationship? A different dream? What are you going to trust instead? How are you going to respond? 
Let's think about this because it's important for us to recognize this is not Jesus saying to these people, you got to get it right. It's Jesus saying to these people, you've already got it wrong. You're already responding to me the wrong way. So turn and respond to me the right way. Let's just make this our prayer as I pray this. Father, we come to you thankful for Jesus. And Father, we are humbled and aware of how easy in our hearts we vilify you. Lord, we're aware of how easy it is for us to call evil what you call good. Lord, we are aware how easy it is for us to always be demanding, always want you to prove to us that you love us. Lord, we know that these things are sin because you've shown us through your Son that you are for us and that you love us and that you're doing a good thing in us as we trust you. So forgive us, Lord, for those times when our hearts resist you. Lord, we do believe. Help our unbelief. Help us, Lord, to find that joy that's ours as we abide in you and your words abide in us, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to believe that your death was enough to cleanse us even of these sins of the heart. Even to cleanse away our bad responses. That when we turn to you in faith, that good response that you call us to, to turn to you in faith, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we believe. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.